Yeah, it's your boy Ray Ray on the mic. Let's go. What up, OTM listeners? It's your boy Ray White from On the Mic Ray White here to bring you all part two of my conversation with Anthony A.J. Vaughn from the E1B2 Collective being on his podcast and just sharing more insights and conversations that I had with him about what it looks like to be a DEI practitioner creating a belonging workplace culture within the corporate space. I hope you liked part one. If you haven't, go ahead and check that out. I will drop that in the show notes as well as Anthony's contact and on LinkedIn and the E1B2 Collective Podcast so you can subscribe to those two things as well. And as you listen to both of these episodes and in this content as well, I would love to hear your thoughts about the I would love to hear your thoughts about what's being said what sparked interest in you what thoughts that you had what questions that you have as well because I would love to create space to talk about that and bring dialogue to this too um, and help you on your journey to becoming a, the equitable inclusive belonging leader that I know you can be for yourself and for others so let's go ahead and dive into part two of this episode and let me know what y'all think you know, a lot of the HR people listening and, and even yourself as you move through your own journey and definitely something I attempt to do as I go through my career um, is to really understand the world of decision-making structures yes. and, and learn how to stand up for yourself and be thoughtful and say as an HR leader, um, hey, look, I report to, let's say you are a chief people officer and you report to uh, the financial suite of the house or uh, of the company. Let's say you report to the CFO, let's say you text report to the COO. I've seen, I've seen even HR, I've seen even HR leaders report to the CTO. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. Um, and that's, <laughs> they, they shouldn't report to anyone else besides the CEO. And that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but having the confidence and having the clarity to go to those individuals that you report to and say, look, um, we need to uh, restructure the decision making, um, the decision making bandwidth that I have, the process mm -hmm. to get things greenlit. Um, we need to restructure and, and start to really thoughtfully plan out uh, the approval of budget. Um, I need to be able to get access to realistic budget. Uh, I need to get um, I need to be able to be in the position to truly build out my team. And when I have a new idea or an initiative, let's co-create what testing this new initiative looks like and, and have you green like that. And then we can talk about what it actually looks like. Because like the in, in the entrepreneurial world, and you'll agree with this probably, like when you get a new deal or you work with a new client or a, a new structure is happening, like for example, with, with some things I'm working in now, we just landed a new partnership. We're going to crawl before we walk. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to, we're signing a three month deal. There's a couple small engagements that we're looking to do. And then we'll sign a six month and then we'll sign a year. And, and the same thing that happened internally. Yeah. Chief people officers out here, heads of DNI, you can talk to your CEOs, your CFOs, your COOs, and figure out a, a decision making structure where they'll allow you and you can co create to, to crawl before you walk. Yes. and try something for a few bit a, a bit of time and uh so so what are your thoughts on all of that yeah man i uh a lot and i love it because what what it shows is especially in this work um if you are a chief diversity officer or or head of people or what have you innately i would hope right in this role innately you're already thinking of culture and systems like how does this work? <laughs> How does people work in this society, in this world? And you start seeing things from that level, right? Uh, Peterson Gay, uh, the fifth discipline also talks about just that, like, um, 
systems level thinking. And we, we hope that a lot of executives have that, but sometimes that gets missed, neither here nor there. But as a chief diversity officer, somebody in the C, uh, HR role, engaging in people, navigating with people, knowing how the system works can then be able to say, like, you, how do you go to um, the, the CFO who has the decision or has that financial lens? Like, how do you understand what his decision or his or her decision-making, their decision-making processes are? Um, and where could you find that common ground to help further both of your initiatives, right? Um, recognizing the cycle in which that strategic plans are being made um, or how budgeting plays a role, like having an awareness of when are the key points to start integrating or trying new things or, or having the conversation and dialogue is important. And then again, as an executive level, having the business case. I mean, DE&I, <laughs> there's a growing conversation in the DEI space that there's, we shouldn't have to create a business case to care for people. Sadly, <laughs> we kind of, mm -hmm. unfortunately, in the business world, that is a necessity. So how do you create a business case that's directly tied to your institution um, to show the value of the initiative that you're a part of? Like, sure, pull from external sources and other industries, but what's going to be key is having it tied to specifically to your institution um, to show that value. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is there's still stuff within your power that you can do and leverage that doesn't necessarily need to go all the way up the chain. Now, we hope that in your position and role, you are, we are mindful of uh, what's, what's right and what's wrong, right? Like we know that we can't just do anything from our department or from our seat, but we know how to leverage relationships. We know how to leverage uh, influence in, uh, relationships in our, in our work to move the initiatives forward. But there's a lot that we can do uh, just within the office itself that doesn't necessarily need to have um, a, a large presentation like you can go and round with the frontline staff and have conversations with them on the floor and say, what, how are you doing? <laughs> like mm -hmm. you can build that in and build relationships there. You could, um, you know, if, if there is a budget, how do you uh, leverage that budget to bring in either a speaker or create an event that is uh, within your realm to, to do right. And yep. you know, have a progress report to showcase that with your one-ups to say, you know, Yes, here are the numbers in which that we showed up or how we were met or below budget. But then also like here's the what people are saying qualitatively about our event or how this is helping boost morale in this way. Um, what if we did this on a larger scale? Like what if we leverage this partnership and that partnership in the institution to help make this a bigger thing and an annual thing as a part of a budget? So so a lot of this is getting scrappy, <laughs> sadly, uh, or, or in a good way. Right. I guess not sadly getting scrappy with what you have and the resources that you have to and the people that you're building relationships with to articulate and showcase the importance of DEIB within the institution. Um, and again, I mean, I don't know, I, I see a lot of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial perspective with this role um, being a key skill set to leverage and not just waiting for approval or waiting for somebody to tell you, oh, now you can um, create that cultural event that is geared toward a particular demographic yeah no and and what you said before is true no it, it is sad because um mm -hmm. i i'll give you a couple of different verticals and, and companies that don't have to go through this um i intimately let intimately know um sales teams and marketing teams right now have endless budget mm -hmm. endless 
trips to Dubai, trips to Miami, first class, all the best CRMs, the tools, the resources, all the money on the marketing for the events and speakers and conferences and channel park, anything you can think of. <laughs> Look at what product teams have. Look at the budget they have for all the two, three, four hundred thousand dollars salary for engineers and building out the teams and um and so the companies out here, and, and this is actually we need to we need to clip this and 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 I'm gonna run probably fifteen hundred dollars worth of ads on LinkedIn behind this. We need to clip this because I have a I have a message actually for, for people like this. Um a lot of companies right now are trying to say that um Remember how they used to say HR departments used to be looked at as uh what do they call it? A what you would call it center, a uh uh not a profit center like a marketing or sales engine is. It's a uh mm. pretty much they were trying to say the HR teams don't help the companies make money, they're extracting money, they're extracting resources. That's why they don't give those departments enough resources, right? But then about yeah. five, 10 years ago. All these companies were popping up saying, oh, no, we look at HR teams as profit centers and all these other things. And you see the you see the CEOs of all the biggest brands in the world on these keynotes uh, talking about how they dump so much money and resource or they they would, in theory, dump so much money and resources into the people teams and how they look at them as a profit center and how the HR teams are helping them save money. But you're not resourcing and fueling these teams with any of the same things that you're doing with all the other verticals in your business. I'll give it to you again, product teams, marketing teams, sales teams. Um, I'm trying to think partnership teams. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Um, uh, uh, fi finance teams. Um, the, 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 le the shit, legal teams um, mm -hmm. that are, that are in certain industries, or, or sectors where their product may be a little bit similar to a competitor. So they have to be really thoughtful about, you know, uh, copyright infringement and all those things. Uh, so, but but where's the money for for the, the HR teams, the DE&I teams, quite literally, you know, and, and that's what will lead me to my next question for you and a little, you know, a little brainstorming here. Yeah. So in your first six months, in theory, of uh, potentially having a role as a head of DE&I, like, how are you thinking about that? How are you thinking about budget approval and building out your team and having access to technology and tools? Um, yeah. You know, what are your thoughts on that whole rant? And then what are your thoughts on that theoretical idea for you personally? Yeah, I, I would be. I'm never. I don't want to put this <laughs> like I want to make sure that. Um, there's no cookie cutter way to implement DEI within any space, right? Like, yes, their concepts and their best practices or preferred practices. But once you actually get in it, then you'll about to see the lay of the land, right? So back to the kind of the idea of uh, us being that uh, cultural or, or organizational surveyors, organizational development mindset when it comes to how the work, how the organization works. Um, and so once, once you, if you're plopped in into this role, being able to survey, okay, what is in my power? What do I have access to? I have an idea of the team I want to bring with me, you know, and I, I don't know for your fans, if y'all are football uh, enthusiasts or not, but just the fact that like Deion Sanders came from HPCU to Colorado and I'm he was going like, I'm bringing my team with me. What's yeah, that? I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm going to say I'm going to that. Uh, I'm going to the uh, Colorado USC game. Oh, let's go. Hey man, that's going to be, that's going to be fire. But that's uh, be a fire game, ain't it? 
Oh man. But it's like, I mean, he had him. I mean, again, he's a, he's an athlete. He's, he's phenomenal in building culture and teams and people and whatnot, but he's like, you know, I'm bringing my team with me. I know what success looks like. Um, I think that with this position, like, I, you know, theoretically I'll come in and like, I know what success looks like. I know that yes, as, as, as a chief or director, somebody who oversees the strategic aspect of this, I know that I'm going to need a manager. I know I'm going to need a data analyst. I know I'm going to need a, um, a, a learning development specialist. Um, these are the things that I would like to have on the team, but then that may not happen day one. So then I'm going out to see where do those people live in the organization already? How do I build relationships with those individuals and start implementing or start infusing this lens into the work that they're already doing, um, which take will take some time, but that would allow the space to kind of say, hey, like, do you see the value of looking at our hiring uh, practices or recruiting practices and the pool of talent is not as inclusive as our organization or our community, right? or the industry. Uh, so how do we start building those bridges across various organizations or platforms that do have a, a greater diversity pool and start you know, incorporating our relationships there, uh, which would incorporate us, which means that we have to have the data, right? So yeah, I'm rambling as well, but just like- No, you're good. Learning the data, understanding the, uh, the data that's already tracked and the data that needs to be tracked, and then through that, being able to build the relationships across the divisions, across uh, departments, um, and understand, again, how they tick, how they work, what are their priorities, and how do you infuse this some aspect of DE&I equity lens within their work. Um, going to the floor, seeing what's actually happening, uh, not just from the status report from the executive room, but actually engaging with the staff that they're, you know, direct reports all the way down and in, in an appropriate way, showing up to their huddles or showing up to their team meetings and departments uh, just to be a presence, right? Yeah. Um, that has to be done because none, none of this work can be done in a silo or in a back office somewhere. It is truly a forward-facing people first, you know, he won't be too mindset, right? Of yeah, yeah. getting out there, getting engaged with the folks and, and, and showing that, hey, you care, you matter, and you're in this space. Um, and a lot of that is... I mean, honestly, what 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 will be challenging and but also a good thing is maybe not necessarily having a big bang event or activity within your first six months, because what that could potentially do is put so your sole focus on getting a getting an event off the ground when you're like not losing sight on what maybe the true root cause or true issues that staff members are engaging or experiencing and yeah. addressing that. And mm -hmm. That, you know, so I would personally curb my enthusiasm a little bit with people saying we need to have this initiative or this activity it's like, well, maybe like let's let's critically critically assess that first. But have we what if we do build that or do that uh, event? What's the next step or how would that lead to the frontline staff member who constantly feels uh, psychologically unsafe in their workplace? Right. Like do how do we make sure that we're not just doing um for anything performative and actually tying the work that we're doing to true meaningful impact of the people that we're trying to serve in our community. No, that was well said, brother. The first six months is training camp. You know, mm. the, the first six months you're in the gym, you're meeting with the coaches, you're, you're trying to get budget approvals. You're trying to figure out what initiatives you actually can or cannot do, um, how they're going to work. Like you said, building relationships with all the different departments um, from the executive down to the ground floor folks. Um, and you're just getting things ready. Um, and, and the same thing 
the same, you know, that's the same, it's the same methodology for life, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's losing weight, whether it's building a business, whether it's trying to take on a new role, if you are in the gym or if you are in the dungeon trying to figure things out, or if you are uh, collecting data and strategies and thoughts, and, and it seems like you're dormant, it seems like nothing is happening. What's going to inevitably happen is you're really just getting yourself together. You're getting yeah. your ideas together. You're trying to make the most thoughtful decisions. So then when you do in month seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12, start to actually do things, everyone's wondering why you're moving so fast, so sharp, so efficient. It's like, no, this is actually not difficult at all because we've thoughtfully baked all this out. Um, exactly. You know, you know, and I'll give us a, a, a little bit of a comparison in a different way, you know. Number one, thank you to God for everything he's been doing in my life recently. Mm. But the last, I would say the last 18 months has been a beautiful journey of financial levels that I've never seen before, being able to support my family in ways and my wife in ways and ways that I've never had before. Um, and and it's been, and my wife was asking, she's like, where's all this coming from? And I was like, this was in this was that work when you saw when you saw nothing happening for a year. And you yes. were wondering what the hell's going on and why, and, and you know, and and shout out to my uh, my mother in law. I'll even do this. I'll get crazy. Uh, we got into a crazy heated debate at a at a dinner two years ago, mm-hmm. um, where she was saying to to me, um, just not under. She was like, "I see what you're doing. Like you, you're paying your bills. You got a nice house. You got things. You know, you, you're good." But she's like where's this all going? Like, what's the next step? What's the next, like, like, where are you, what are you really trying to do with all of everything that you're associated with? I go on your LinkedIn, you got a million things going on. I can't really read what you're doing. Obviously I see that you're taking care of my daughter, but you know, it's, it's what's, what, what is the end picture? Because in her mind, it, in her mind, what it looks like tangibly from her POV, things happen a little bit faster or whatever the case mm-hmm. is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now fast forward two years later, I just saw her this past Christmas and she pulled me inside. She's like, I guess you weren't playing, huh? And I was like, I, I, was, I, was, in the, I was in the gym. <laughs> and, and, and all my, everyone has been doing this my whole life where um, everyone's behind the scenes asking questions, what's going on? I haven't heard from them. I don't see anything popping them. And then do, 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 you just start. It's like, hold on, where's all this coming from? And it's like, I was working. And so the same thing can happen for yes. your example with the ENI or yes. HR or whatever the case is. Uh, there's no issue for being dormant and quiet for six months, collecting data, getting your thoughts together. And the last thing I'll say on this rant and then give me your thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. The, 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 we need the, the 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 executives that these HR and D&I leads report to to be the opposite of my mother-in-law, though I love you, um, uh, Stephanie, I do love you. But opposite of that, um, we need them to be the opposite from the angle of appreciate and facilitate and fuel them moving thoughtfully, fuel yeah. their energy of like, look at six months of you paying potentially $10,000 a month or $8,000 a month salary. Look at that as a benefit. Look at that as, look, they're just getting themselves together. They're going to move aggressively and sharply. Look at it as an investment. Because yes. again, and I said it was going to be the last thing. I'll give you one more. Give it to me. <laughs> Come same, on, man. Bro, it's the same shit in part of my French in marketing. Mm. I've seen, te- I'm telling you, I've seen t- sales teams, marketing, shit, and you know this, product teams in a dungeon for eight months. 
And no one says anything to them, but they're like, no, we're investing in it. We know that they're working. We have our JARA boards or whatever, whatever they use in their project management. Why can't it be the same thing for our HR and DEI team? So what are your thoughts on all of that? 100%. And I, and I think that's where, again, back to the marrying of that people and business side of things, right? So recognizing that we don't develop it, like immediately. It's, things take time. Um, mm -hmm. I love the training camp mentality or being in the gym mentality because you don't get stronger one time in the gym. Like it takes dedicated practice, dedicated frequency, specific workouts, specific tactics. And then eventually over time um, with through that level of commitment, you will see progress. And yeah, then you'll be able to lift the whole gym with ease because of all the work you've been putting in for six months to a year, what have you. I would love that we would look at this type of work very similarly both from an institutional standpoint and also from the uh, the practitioner standpoint, because we are a culture that wants to have things move fast and happen and, and, and in an instant. And the, the joys of technology has made it so to where now we think we can get anything in two day shipping, right? Mm -hmm. Or even one day, one day shipping. So uh, that microwave level of thinking is not what's going to help things move faster or sustain itself. So how do we uh, practice some level of uh, patience in this work. But as we are building, we're not just building, you know, we have a vision to what we're building towards. And I think that is the piece that has to be clearly articulated and in lockstep with the with the CEO or the, the, the any chief officer, uh, the C-suite executives when it comes to the, the work that we're doing. Um, as a as a DEI practitioner, my I have to make sure my vision mirrors their vision, and 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 then beyond, right? That's gonna be broader. Uh, and if we can share and share that message, like Dude, we're going towards this, like this is the goal. The championship is the goal, but we won't get to the championship day one. Like, or we won't get to the championship tomorrow. It's gonna take eighteen weeks. It's gonna take twenty four weeks. It's gonna take you know. It's, it takes some time. It's gonna may take four years because of a recruiting class and building up our our capacity to. Uh, work the system, understand the system, get everybody comfortable in the system. So that way you can run the no huddle offense with ease when everybody knows what they're doing, right? Um, though, those are, if we start encouraging and incorporating that, that lens into this work, um, I, I believe you know, we'll get a lot of people believing that DEI hat, like, is a necessity in the way that we orchestrate our organizations and not just see it as, um, on the on the first in first out type of a mentality especially with all these layoffs happening in the dei space right um the vision has to be cast the division has to be clear it has to be locked up what the organization is doing and yes show a little bit of progress to make sure that people you know unfortunately is you gotta you gotta show me that you're actually working right like show a little bit of progress and status updates but know that the big the big payoff the championship is going to happen once everybody trusts the system and trusts the process a hundred percent a hundred percent um all right so let's fast forward out and then we'll end it this way let's fast forward mm -hmm. out um you're a year in the role theoretically um what are what are some what are some wins and successes that you are hoping to see but i'm gonna give you a couple we'll do a little trivia i'll give you a couple yeah. example um i'll give you i'll give you some examples let me see i'm pulling up my uh pulling up my 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 document here so what are you hoping to see from, and you can pick maybe one of these, but what are you hoping to see from learning and development? What are you hoping to see when it comes to decision-making, 
Um, what are you hoping to see as it pertains to um, like psychological safety? Like what are some things you're hoping to see after a year of doing this great work um, in, in those three categories? Like any, any ideas, anything tangible come to mind? Well, what's, what's <laughs> tangible, and this is hard to, to articulate in this way, but a lot of this is, is, is personal self-work to reflect and to process our own worldview, positions, perspectives, behaviors, and how that plays a role in the outwardly to the people and the impact that it has on other people, right? Um, and so where from any of those levels where I see a success measurement will be uh, folks are able to quickly identify or have the ability to work through a, a framework or a lens that operate, that recognizes their um, biases, privilege, um, recognizes the impact, has a, has a perspective of the either the social other or those who are most marginalized, most vulnerable or historically excluded. And that's like immediately a part of like their decision-making or question framework. Like if we are doing uh, initiative that is in the L&D space, if we're teaching a new course on how to be an effective leader, uh, have we thought about what does it mean to be a leader? <laughs> like, do we know what it means to be a leader from every lens of our social identity? And who are we representing when we say leadership, who are we, uh, what type of skills are necessary and are we incorporating skills that may not be traditionally honored in this space? Like, I, I think I remember reading somewhere that uh, hard skills such as learning Excel or, you know, looking at P&Ls, all that kind of stuff, like that stuff is important, but the soft skills are the, are, are the big wins when it comes to uh, a strong management and leadership team. So even as we dig deeper into the soft skills, uh, like uh, being able to have conversations with uh, with our staff and and be and practice a level of empathy in that in that role, we are being empathetic by understanding and while also understanding the historical context of a person's identity. So I'm not just going to talk to everybody the same way. I'm going to talk to you in a way that is appropriate for you, and then you understand that's relating to you, right? Which we incorporate that psychological safety. Um, and even just verbally, like, you know, just verbal ways to communicate with other staff, but uh, even thinking about what are the nonverbal ways that we're communicating or what are the, um, if, if somebody is uh, maybe has, has a different way of learning, a neurological diversity, right? Like, how are we incorporating uh, all the ways to communicate to a person that makes sense and fits what their needs are? Mm -hmm. uh, so those types of things will have to be a part of the work. So not only are we just providing an online course for somebody to, to look at it, but we are also providing all text within that online course, or we're providing um, some assistance or accessibility when it comes to that course, right? Um, or maybe somebody just needs to read it. <laughs> yep. They don't have the video set up. So they maybe they just need to read the context. So how are we transcribing it? And there's a transcription in multiple languages. So it's, yep. it's, 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 it's a critical lens in how we look at the work. And, um, and in a year from now, being able to look at those, uh, you know, you said L&Ds and cycle safety, we're looking at just how we do work. It, it is, we, we take that extra step to be, to align our intention with our impact. And we're not just putting things out there just in one way, because that's the way we always done it. We're taking the extra step of asking the question, is that appropriate? And does that still meet the needs or meeting the uh, engaging or reaches the people that we are that have 
that are have been hard to reach or unable to reach mm-hmm. because the traditional methods haven't been haven't been accommodating for them. Yeah. I love all of that. I love all of that. And and, and the tip that I would give to you and anyone else um, that's that are in these roles, um, as you look at you know, L&D, as you look at redoing or restructuring decision-making processes to make them more um, equitable, to make them more fair, to make them more fluid, to make them, to make them faster. Um, As you look at workflows where you're going to, um, because, because that's another factor too, right? We're, and this is kind of connected to my tip. A lot, a lot of, a lot of the DE&I work can actually be in the eye of the DEI, where a lot of the inclusive, like, like this is a whole nother rant that I, I won't do the full version of it, but there should be individual processes for each one. Like I've seen, you know, yes. I've seen really, you know, there should be, let's say five processes and five inputs um, for D, you know, for D, for diversity, for, yes. you know, for, for, you know, equitable, equitable moments and, and, and processes that you want to try to put inside the company. And then I, and then B, like there, there should be your own things for each one. And what I've noticed that can get the attention, here's my tip, um, that can get the attention of that CFO or that CEO or whoever you report to is if you attack the I first, actually, and you look at workflows, or if you look at um, psychological safety or decision making, or if you look at, um, and I'm literally scrolling through here, diversity of thought, and you do it in a way where it'll make teams work faster, harder, better with each other, and generate more ideas that the company can make money on. If you if you if you pitch it like that, yeah, I've noticed is who who will give you who inevitably will be having to sign the checks and give you budget and autonomy, they're going to say, ah, I get it now. I see yeah. what you're saying. Because what I've noticed is a lot of folks that are like you and I that are trying to work on this work subconsciously, and I know this is scary, but subconsciously, those that are in the decision-making positions that we report to don't internally and emotionally care as much Mm -hmm. about the color and gender and fair variables as I think they should. But what they care about in the immediate is if the teams are working faster and harder with each other. And you know you're doing it from a really good humanistic spot, but they know on the other side that it's going to impact the business. So it's kind of like you're just finessing the system a little bit. It's like, you know what? I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to do it in a way that's very humanistic. So it's a win-win on both sides. You know what I mean? Of course. You know, and that and that's honestly from a short term, like you said, short term win perspective, like those are the things that are necessary for the work to continue. Like, and that's that's a lot of the reason why we have to be infused into the business to be able to ask those questions to understand what are your goals, what are you striving towards, how what do you see efficiencies? Here's an idea. <laughs> Let's try this. Or mm-hmm. let me take that back and let me see what I can do to help support that effort. And let's let's track some measure, measurements, right? Like uh the one of the things I think about is the lean management system, um, where there's a lot of that check and adjust that's occurring when we identified what the what the problems and the root causes are, then we do a a test of change and through that through those steps then we able to say okay um here's my test of change that i want to bring to the table of recruiting 
Um, let's start recruiting in these ways. Let's add this language. Let's put it in these spaces where we haven't been engaged in and let's see what happens, right? Like here's what here's where we will hope to see measurements on a certain month to month or week to week or what have you. And then, uh, and if that doesn't work, then we can say, okay, maybe we, see, we saw some progress, but it wasn't the progress we were looking for. How do we tweak it to make it work? But it still aligns with the overall goal of 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 recruiting you know increasing recruiting numbers right um so there there is a like i love the finessing perspective which i know finessing can have a terrible term in some spaces but honestly if we're trying to get this work to be completed there has to be a little bit of finessing on the front end and then uh because we're building trust and buy-in with the institution that uh we are capable in this department this work is is important and is needed um so we have to have it embedded into the work to then rise up and say, all right, like now let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's get the work. Yeah. And, I, and I'll give one last tip and then please mm -hmm. pl plug anything you want to plug and then I'll get you out of here because I right. really appreciate your time. Um, my, my, my dude, Rob, he uh, he's the founder of Almas and a really great guy and frankly, a mentor to me. Um, old school Deloitte guy. I think he's in his 60s. And uh, just really been around the, around the world, done a lot of great work. And one great thing that he's always taught me from a sales perspective that can help some, some current or future heads of DNIs out here, some heads of people out here um, that can help, right? Because at the end of the day, what a lot of people don't realize is every human being on the face of the earth is a salesperson. Mm. You have to sell mm -hmm. something, right? You want to get a job, you got to sell yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people think salespeople are people that are just selling products or services. No, you're selling at all times. You want to get your husband or your spouse, or your, your significant other or your kid to do something. It's selling, it's convincing, it's, it's getting into their psychology. It's, it's, and so one thing that he's taught me, um, that I think a lot of HR people can learn, a lot of DNI people can learn, try to understand, so let's say you report to a CFO. Try to understand what KPIs and OKRs that CFO is being judged and measured against. Yep. If you can solve, if you can help them keep their job longer, I promise you they're going to start giving you budget. Okay. Like if, if yeah. you can really, if people can really internalize that tip, it'll blow your mind. It's and that, that one little subtlety Rob said to me one day, like weeks ago, and I was like, that is so right. If we could, if whatever we're trying to sell, whatever we're trying to bring in can help keep this person's job longer, right? Because every person, yeah. everybody has a KPI and OKR in different ways. Everyone goes to performance review. So um, we'd love your quick thoughts on that. And then uh, yeah, plug, and plug anything you want to plug and I get you out of here. That's how you win. Honestly, uh, you, you, you help the coach succeed by doing your, knowing what their goals are and uh, try to, it, it, help anticipate that need, man. And I, I think that's what I've witnessed a lot in this leadership space, especially as I develop as a leader. Um, the more that it, it, it's sad, but true, the more that I help my boss look good, the, <laughs> the better, you know, we will be. And, and that's a lot of it's anticipating their needs, anticipating what they're like, they're being measured. And that, that makes tremendous sense. So why not take that same level of perspective and the way that we're building relationships with people and, and, but do it in a way that's genuine, right? It's not like a scratch my back, scratch yours. You nope. know, it should be no quid pro crow, however you say that. But, um, but it's like, all right, like if we all need to win, we all have a role to play. 
and we all have not not necessarily take sacrifices but we all have an opportunity to help each other in a collective state in a collaborative state um so how do i help you and achieve this and by doing so hopefully reap the benefit of getting more support down the road and you know that's key that's a good key 100 percent uh plug anything you want to plug brother and i get you out of here yeah, man. So for y'all, y'all I appreciate the being on the E1B2 Collective. I've been like I, I mentioned to you offline, I've been following your journey for since the pandemic and prior to the pandemic, actually, what does it mean to be a great leader? So I appreciate the content you're putting out um, in your podcast, man. And uh, so I, I have a podcast as well on the mic with Ray White. Uh, you can find it on all social media platforms, all podcasting platforms you see fit. Uh, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Instagram uh, at Ray Devante. So you can find me there, too. Um, and eventually, uh, two things. One, uh, I'm gonna have a book coming out here pretty soon called Advocacy in Action, Nine Practical Ways for Allies in Social Justice. Just really getting at the answering the question of what do I do whenever uh, a leader is experiencing social injustice that's happening around them and how do they understand and cognitively navigate that for themselves, but then also be an advocate for others in their spaces to create this belonging culture that we seek. So that'll be coming out here pretty soon. And then the second thing is I do speaking in public, uh, public speaking, coaching, consulting as well um, through through this umbrella and just love to engage leaders, uh, executive leaders, uh, people managers, those who are really working to create uh, an inclusive community where every identity belongs and thrives. And not only finding a way to implement it within their work, but to, just to hold space because there are not many places and spaces where leaders can go and to fumble through how to be a better DEI practitioner in their current role. So I love to hold space for leaders in that way. Um, and then uh, if you find, find me on social media and let me know where you're listening to this episode, I can plug that to you too. And we can have a conversation so I can support you and your efforts of being the equitable leader that I know you can be and you know you can be. Well, brother, I appreciate you. This has been, hey, this is this has really been a dope conversation. This is probably one of the better, the better podcasts that I've ever done. Um, <laughs> And on the record, too, uh, for all the listeners, this was all freestyle. Like, we didn't mm-hmm. have anything that, you know, so, um, and that's a skill in itself, too. So we should probably pat ourselves on the back for that. Um, but I appreciate you, brother. We will, uh, I'll have this edited soon and and, uh, and we'll get it out to the world. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on the show, man. Appreciate it. <laughs>